Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for... Or January the 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our two of two, and the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. There's so much to talk about, so little time. Look, let me just tell you a little story. Lowell's not here today, and he's not because it's all my fault. I told him I wouldn't be live today, and so he took the day off, and uh, anyway, it's a long personal story, and I don't know how much I had to get into my personal stuff. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what. Let's just move to a topic at hand, and uh, we'll think about the personal stuff and decide to talk about it here um, maybe soon. There's a guy by the name of John Rich, and he's a country star. He's with the big country duo Big and Rich. And I'm telling you right now, the guy is just a hero, if you ask my opinion. Big and Rich is a stand-up guy to say the least here's what happened he says this i never bent the knee yeah john country star legend john rich wins lawsuit against venue that tried to force vaccine passport at his concerts he said "Uh uh-uh we're not doing that at my concert i don't believe in the vaccines i'm not taking them and i'm not mandating anybody else take them they went to court and good old John won. Ha <laughs> ha. John Rich is a freedom fighting guy. I really like this guy. And I hope to reach out and to work with him in the future here because he's, this guy's a hero. I've been watching him for quite a while. Here's a, a little bit of a sound bite from uh, John Rich, Big and Rich. There's a hole in this country where it's hard used to be. No glory is divided on fire and street. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say, stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me. Just fine. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. They invite the whole world to come live in our land and leave our countrymen dying in Afghanistan. They say, let go of Jesus, let government say, you can have back your freedoms if you do what we say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine, keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. The sun don't shine 
you have it ladies and gentlemen john rich doing a phenomenal job he says hey i never bent the knee this guy's a hero man he literally went to court and said look you're not gonna force my people that come to my concerts to take the vaccine you're not doing that and the judge agreed with him and he won and now he writes that incredible song progress uh this guy's a hero folks now i want to skip the break and I just uploaded another uh, soundbite. Hopefully you guys uh, get that uh, at the studio there really quick. It's called John Rich, How Wokeness Killed Country Music. And it's kind of long, but I want to play this on the radio because I really, I've been waiting for a time to play this because John Rich is a hero. He literally speaks out like nobody's business. I mean, this guy's great. All right, so we're going to skip the break and we're going to play this. John Rich, How Wokeness Killed Country Music. Listen to this. Oh, all right, the file's still uploading, I guess. This is when I play audibles, because I expected Lowell to be here, and then it was my fault that he's not here. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just uh, crazy. Go ahead and refresh your folder, uh, and you should hopefully see this. John Rich. Um, what? I didn't put it in the folder. What the heck's going on? I thought I copied that in there. All right, hold on, guys. My fault. I'm just screwing up live on the radio. This, by the way, is uh, what live radio is all about, though, you know? <laughs> you can um, you can see how this is. All right, John, okay, there it is. Let's see if I can put this in here now. No wonder she doesn't have it. In order for her to have it, I have to put it there, people. All right. All right, now that's there. In a minute, she'll have it. Uh, all I can tell you, though, is this is this is really cool. This guy's a hero, folks, and he stands up. And I'm going to tell you one of the coolest things while we get this soundbite ready to go. John Rich um, is on True Social with Donald Trump and other people. And he's following some pretty cool people. This guy is caught up on what's going on. And he uh, isn't silent. He's standing up. It's almost more like a Ted Nugent or a Kid Rock or some of these very few people who have the guts. But listen to this. Here's John Rich. There's no Johnny Cash's or Waylon Jennings or, or those kind of people or Loretta Lynn's. Well, there's a good reason for that, because none of those people would have been allowed to exist today. My name is John Rich, and this is my story. So I grew up in a town called Amarillo, Texas. So if you look at the state of Texas, go to the very top where it squares off like this. That's called the Panhandle of Texas. Were it not for Interstate 40, 
rolling through Amarillo, there would probably be no town there. It would just be more cows and more, more wheat fields. A lot of tough people out there, uh, cowboys, oil workers, a lot of agriculture. I'm the oldest of four kids. So I have two younger sisters and then, a, and then a baby brother. My dad was doing everything from, he was a night watchman at Amarillo National Bank. He was slopping hogs for the neighbor's hog farm next door, giving guitar lessons, selling used cars, mowing people's grass, detailing people's cars, literally anything he could think of to make sure we didn't go without and we didn't go without. My dad is a uh, preacher. My dad started preaching when he was about 19 years old and he never preached in the big churches, so there was never any salary really attached to anything he was doing. My dad's more of a prison preacher. I never remember my dad without a guitar hanging around his neck. So he preached in little churches, or he'd preach in prisons, or he would preach in the streets, wherever he was at. And one of his, one of his big assets was he could, he could pull a guitar out and start singing, because they might not want to hear him preach, but they wouldn't mind listening to him sing for a minute. And he knew that. So, man, he would sing and wear it out. One of his extra jobs was to give guitar lessons there in Amarillo, Texas. When I was about five or six, my dad goes, you want to go with me to guitar lessons? I'm like, sure, Dad. I mean, what kid doesn't want to tag along? I said, sure, Dad. So I go down there, and he's got this semicircle of probably 20 adults sitting there with their guitars. I sit down next to my dad, kind of behind him. He hands me this little tiny guitar. He goes, just try to follow along, and he starts teaching well, I sat behind him and I'm just doing what he's teaching them to do. And within about two or three months, I was out playing all of his students. My dad goes, you're picking that up pretty quick. He goes, Let, let's work on it a little bit more. And next thing you know, I'm playing pretty much everything my dad can play. Never dawned on me, people make money playing music. Amarillo, Texas, come on, you better be able to herd cows, run a combine, something uh, to have your career, not, not music. So being around that early on, it was... Uh, it was a real binder between me and my dad, something we could do together, play music together, watch him do it in church, watch my dad write a song, spend a whole week, and hear him in his back bedroom working on this song and writing lyrics down. And then he would sing it to people on Sunday morning, and I, I said, I saw him write that, and then watch people respond to the song. I was like, that's like magic. How did he do that? He just took blank paper, and now people are singing the words back. It was very inspiring. I look at where I'm at today as a songwriter and I think back of how I was struck by that, that my dad was able to write something, perform it, create something out of nothing and, and see impact happen. My dad, my whole family, his parents, all, of, all the grandparents and uncles, it was instilled in us at a really early age that, hey, you live in America. And some of the old men said, yeah, and we were in World War II. He was in, you know, he was here and he was there. And you learn those stories. They go, it doesn't matter where you start off, son. You can wind up no telling where. You just got to think big and work hard. You got to outwork everybody. And, you know, that hustle will beat talent. You know, there's a misconception in the world that the most talented people are the ones that always win. That is not true. If the most talented singers were the ones on country radio, if that's the only ones that ever made it, you'd have a completely different group of people singing on the radio people on the radio that you that have become big stars and that you hear are the ones that have talent of course but they are the ones that that were willing to stick with it figure it out figure out the business side of the music so they could have these long careers it wasn't just because they could hit a high note and that that goes across the spectrum of all business all entrepreneurial efforts period and so i was taught that early on hey buddy if you want to go get something go get it when i was in high school i started singing a lot i would enter you know, singing competitions and this and that. I got noticed by a couple of universities and, uh, and actually had a couple of full rides to some really good schools. 
While this is going on, I auditioned for this big theme park that used to be in Nashville called Opryland, Opryland USA. They had all these live music shows in the park. I went down to audition thinking I'd never get it because I'm not a dancer. And I said, you got to be able to dance by that. Well, there are a bunch of good looking girls down there, so it's probably worth the trip. So I go down, audition, what do you know? I get the job. This is my senior year in high school. That summer after I graduated, I go to work at Opryland and I meet these guys from Texas who are all 10 and 15 years older than me. And they're all working at Opryland too. He said, you're from Texas, right? I go, yeah. Said, We're putting a little band together. And uh, would you want to be in the band? You play a little bass? I said, I play, barely, but yeah, I play a little bit of bass. They said, well, uh, let's meet this weekend. We'll have a rehearsal. And if it goes well, maybe we'll play a couple of shows. I said, sounds good. We did a little showcase. And next thing you know, we've got 200 dates on the books. And I said, how much money am I going to make if I do all these dates? He goes, man, you'll probably make like $400 a week. I went, what? Couldn't believe it. I got so much money. So I said, you know what? I'm going to push college off for a year, go travel with these guys. My mother said, uh, well, you'll never amount to a hill of beans if you don't go to college. And I said, well, a hill of beans is not what I intend on amounting to. What a smart aleck answer, right? But that was my attitude. Like, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Uh, these guys made me an offer. I love playing music more than anything. How do I get on the Grand Ole Opry? This is probably a better route. And sure enough, that band went on uh, to become the band Lone Star, which we sold six million records while I was in that band. That's where I wrote my first number one songs and, and really cut my teeth on country music. Being in Lone Star at 18, 19, 20, it was up to about 24 years old is when I was in that band. This is when you learn that country music is not a hobby. If you want to have a career in that, buddy, you better get ready. Three guys in a hotel room and not a nice hotel room, crammed into a Jeep Cherokee, pulling a U-Haul trailer from Orlando to Reno, Nevada. I mean, stuff like that. Playing anywhere they'd give you a mic, you're going to go play. So you learn what it means to really go out and grind for something. And there's no guarantee you're ever going to get it. You know, how does all this work? The business of music on a small level, but still the business of music. That's where I learned all that stuff. And then being a songwriter, the only reason I would write a song prior to Lone Star would be to try to impress some girl. But you get into Lone Star, you got a record deal now. And they're like, guys, you're going to cut a record. Uh, you should probably write some songs. And that's where I started getting a lot better at writing songs. My first number one was called Come Crying to Me which uh, came out, we sold two or three million records on that one. And man, that's when I said, you know what? I like the songwriting thing. That's the most powerful things in the world to me is blank paper and a pencil. Nobody can tell you what you can put on it. The Declaration of Independence started out as blank paper and somebody had to put a pen to it. The pages of the Bible, we can go on and on and on. Pretty much all the great things that ever impacted the world in general started out with somebody with a thought or a feeling, a writing instrument, and something to write on. So songwriting to me is kind of like that. It's a blast, but it's also very powerful. And it has pulled me out of a lot of ditches throughout my career. Part of the equation of succeeding at something is you're gonna fail a lot, getting up to the point where you're an expert at it or you're a pro at it. And so the question is, how do you deal with failure? Cause you're gonna get it. If you're not failing, then you're not trying. We all know that old phrase, it's very true. For me, when, uh, Lone Star fires me. They go off and put the biggest song out in the decade. I lose my solo deal. I'm damaged goods. I thought, what is the only thing I can still control? And I tell people this all the time. When everything seems out of your control and things are just blowing up left and right, you got to think, what's the, what's the one thing I still control? It could be something as simple as what I'm going to eat, what, how I'm going to exercise, 
you know, something simple and control it very well. And you will start to build back out from that slowly but surely back into the realms of things that you'd actually like to be doing. For me, it was songwriting. So you can take away my record deal. You can take away my concerts. You can take away the awards and all that. But I still got a pencil and I still got a notebook. And I still got this old Gibson guitar sitting here and nobody can tell me what I can write on this page. I've been asked to write songs for all different kinds of reasons. I've sat down with my buddy, Big Kenny, have a couple of cocktails. What's the craziest thing we could come up with, Kenny? Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, here you go, let's write that one. I've had artists come to me. There was one guy in particular came up and he said, hey man, um, I heard a couple of your songs and I wish I had some songs like that. And I'm, I'm just trying to get a record deal. So could I use a few of your songs in my showcase? I said, yeah, I guess. And I'm like, who are you again? He goes, my name's Jason Aldean. I went, never heard of you. What songs do you want? And he starts listing off some of these titles. I said, wow, dude, those are my favorite songs. He goes, yeah, I, I, mean, I probably won't even get a deal. I just want to, you know, just want to see if I could use them. I said, yeah, you can use them, man, no problem. And Aldean, of course, gets his record deal. And I wound up having five number one songs on Jason Aldean. And all those songs were written back when everything was exploding all around me and I focused on the one thing that I could still control, which was that pencil on that paper. So people got to remember that. The game is not over unless you give up. Faith Hill came to me one time and she said, I wish you'd write a song for me that it would only make sense if I sang it. I went, that's an interesting parameter. Okay, only makes sense if you sing it. I said, oh, I'll work on it. And so I'm out on the road with Tim McGraw with, with Big and Rich and I'm noticing that Faith Backstage, flip-flops, ball cap, cut-off shorts, hanging out with her kids, parking lot like anybody else. But then when the show starts, she comes walking off the bus in an evening gown. And she steps out with Tim singing It's Your Love to 30,000 people. She gets through, she walks back off five minutes later, ball cap, tank top, back to normal. I went, that's what the fans don't know about faith. That's what they need to know about faith. They don't get to come backstage and see that. So I wrote this song uh, called Mississippi Girl for the first line in the song, completed the task of she's the only one that could sing it and it makes sense because it says, it's a long way from Star, Mississippi. Well, that's her hometown. Nobody else in country music from that little town. So when I played it for her out in the parking lot a few days later, big old tear rolled out of her eyes. She goes, I'm recording that. I'm gonna put that out. She goes, thank you for writing that. It went number one for two weeks. the wave of wokeism that, that's hit this country and especially the entertainment business, that made its way to Nashville. So these artists are sitting there and they're being told by their publicists, their managers, the heads of their record labels, hey, we know that you think these things about America, that, that you're against kind of all this woke stuff that we do. They don't call themselves woke, of course. But we know you're not really for that. But hey, don't even think about putting out a post that pushes against that. Don't you say X, Y, Z on your microphone, on your stage. No, you cannot record that song because it says this. And they just completely control these artists. And the artist only has two choices at that point. Do they want to go have a career? It's been their dream. Do they play the game, go forward, and just don't step on these landmines? Or do they go out and hit the trip wires and, and light the place up? and lose their record deal and not get invited to the awards show and radio won't play them and so forth, but basically erase their career. That's what they're faced with. Is there freedom in art in Nashville, like total freedom? Absolutely not, absolutely not. It's sad. To make authentic art, whatever that is, whether it's music, films, whatever, the artist needs to have free reign 
over whatever it is they've got in their mind. The whole point of art is I can see it in my mind. I can hear it in my mind. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a physical reality. And that's the art. So when you start building walls and, and parameters and barriers and protocols around artists, then the art's dying at that point. Look at our poor comedians having to pick and choose what jokes they want to say. I mean, I've got some comedian friends that are hardcore socialists who I'm friends with that have come to me and said, man, I can't vote for this anymore. I go, why not? They go, I'm having to pick and choose what jokes I'm going to say. That's not comedy. We're like the last line of, of defense for the truth. We get to say it right out in the open and there's nothing you can do to us about it. And they're canceling comedians because they don't like their jokes. I go, well, what do you think he's going to get? I, I was like, brother, you only get to vote for socialism or communism one time. You only get to vote for it once. Once it gets in, that's it. If you're wondering why it seems like people are, are pulling back and not giving you the full meal deal, they're not. there's no Johnny Cash's or Waylon Jennings or, or those kind of people or Loretta Lynn's. Well, there's a good reason for that because none of those people would have been allowed to exist today. I think there's a juncture that happens, uh, just speaking for myself, being a dad and weighing out your career choices if I say these things, it's going to cost me. Okay, guess what? If it's this bad right now, what's it going to be like when my two boys are in their 20s and 30s and they're walking out into the world? What are they going to be looking at? The only example they're going to have of how to handle that correctly is the old man. America has had such an impact in the world because it gave its people not the right to be happy, the right to pursue happiness, the right to exhaust your potential. The thing I love the most about this country is I wake up every day and I go, as long as I'm still breathing, the game ain't over. Hey folks, I hope you really enjoyed watching this wow. video. There you have it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, John Rich is a hero. Now I realize that they say he got fired from Lone Star because he was too cocky. May or may not be true. Uh, you know what? But the guy the guy has a little bit of right to be cocky. He was one of the key people to launch Jason Aldean's career, man. Jason Aldean's one of the top rock country. You know, I, I say rock country because it's, it's not traditional 90s country. It's rock country with Jason Aldean. Uh, but look, this guy's written some incredible songs. He was in Lone Star. He literally has done all these incredible things in his career. And he's got a stand-up kind of disposition. He's just like, you know what, if I don't stand up, what do my children have to look to? Nothing. If I stand up, the only thing they can look to is the old man, meaning him, or me, Sam Bushman, or you, my fellow Americans. We have got to stand up. It starts somewhere, and you say you're going to lose a lot. Well, you may lose a lot. You may lose a, 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 an incredible career. I believe I've lost an incredible career in talk radio. And you say, well, Sam, you're on the radio every day. I know, but I'm a self-made man, and my audience is comparatively speaking compared to what they might have been are small but i'm not gonna refuse to say or refrain from saying what they want me to not say i'm not willing to take their direction and have them demand what i don't say or what i do say i'm not willing to have them have me uh take views on political issues or i would i would say there's no such thing as political issues moral issues i'm not willing to back down on those moral issues and i'm not willing to change what i say Right? Look, Santos is a criminal. Everybody else is like, just dismiss it, Sam. He's voting with the conservatives. He's, you know, I mean, it, it, sure, he embellished and stuff, but come on, everybody does it. Joe did it. Everybody does it. Folks, I'm not going along with that. That is no excuse. It's got to stop. 
And it's only going to stop if good, honest Americans stand up and demand it stop. Well, you say, well, Sam, you're just all by yourself speaking to the choir then. You have your good time. My response is, I will. You want to know why? Because I will be able to stand before my maker, God Almighty, and say, you know what? I stood for God, family, and country to the best of my ability. And I highlighted and promoted others who had the integrity and the intestinal fortitude, the guts, to do the same, baby. That's why I wanted to tell you about John Rich. If you didn't know about him, now you do. This is the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Jerry Barmash. The man who fatally shot 10 people in a Southern California dance studio had once been a regular presence at the studio, even meeting his ex-wife there, according to CNN. Authorities identified the 72-year-old Asian man who they say opened fire near a Lunar New Year celebration in a Los Angeles suburb. Los Angeles County Sheriff Robert Luna. Our sheriff's uh, SWAT team approached and cleared the band and determined the suspect sustained a self-inflicted gunshot wound and was pronounced dead at the scene. The man was found dead in a white van after a standoff with police in Torrance. One House Republican is calling President Biden a, quote, serial classified document hoarder. Appearing on CBS's Face the Nation, Ohio Representative Mike Turner questioned if Biden showed the documents discovered in his private Delaware residence to anyone. Turner said that's the only reason he could think of as to why they weren't taken out of the classified space. Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, weighed in on NBC's Meet the Press. To put those in un- unsecured spaces is irresponsible. Senator Chris Coons says the discovery of classified documents in President Biden's possession will not be a deciding issue for voters in the next election. What's going to matter going forward um, is how this is handled. And President Biden has fully and promptly cooperated. Appearing on ABC's This Week, the Delaware Democrat says the issue is not one keeping Americans up at night, like the day-to-day concerns like inflation and the cost of prescription drugs. I'm Dave Collins. Sports, the NFL's final four is set. The San Francisco 49ers have a return engagement to the NFC Championship. Getting past the Cowboys Sunday night, 1912, they'll visit the top-seeded Eagles on Sunday. The Chiefs and Bengals will meet for the right to represent the AFC in Super Bowl 57. This is USA News. Nothing fights the winter blues like a delicious and satisfying meal. Luckily, Omaha Steaks makes it easy to start the year right and keep that warm and cozy feeling going all winter long. Right now is the perfect time to stock up and fill your freezer with flavor. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code TREAT at checkout and get $30 off your order. Save on perfectly portioned favorites, easy meals, and so much more with Omaha Steaks Freezer Filler Sale. That's $30 off an endless variety of gourmet choices from incredible steaks, premium chicken, delicious pork to seafood. There's something for everyone, and every bite is backed by their 100% money back guarantee. Visit omahasteaks.com today. Enter TREAT at checkout to get $30 off your order. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com. Use promo code TREAT at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. 
All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Bushman on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, continues. I, when I find people like that, that's why we covered this Loretta Lynn when, when I was with Chris Carlson. We talked about Loretta Lynn. And um, now John Rich is saying that's why there's no more Loretta Lynn's because, you know what, this big corporate business world shuts everybody down. Well, Kanye West is saying the same thing, or ye has been, you know, highlighting saying the same thing. He says, look, these uh, big companies that, that produce media and stuff like that, they're all satanic. They're all evil. Uh, Big Rich doesn't call them evil, but he does say they're absolutely woke and controlling. And, you know, you can't have the most talented people that speak out and are bold. John Rich is one of the few. Ted Nugent is one of the few. Kid Rock is one of the few. Willie Nelson, uh, one of the few. Uh, you know, these people have spoke out and had an incredible career. Kind of different from everybody else. Their careers could be way bigger if they would bend the knee. John Rich, you know, if he didn't have this supposed cocky attitude or go out on his own, he would have been a lone star. Huge. You know, he's the guy a lot of the reason that Jason Aldean is so big. Now, I'm not saying Jason doesn't have talent in and of itself. He has incredible talent. Jason Aldean uh, has an, an interesting history, a lot like John Rich. And Jason Aldean and his wife have been speaking out pretty nobly, boldly, and independently as well. And I commend them for their stance, uh, too. All right. Anyway, there you have it. There's a mainstream report that I want to play for you guys. It's, again, a little bit long, and I normally don't play mainstream reports. But it's here why Biden's border visit is receiving, quote, bipartisan criticism. Uh, and this is really from the mainstream, but it's, it's, it's starting to highlight a lot of the problems we're experiencing in America aren't Republican or Democrat issues anymore. People are getting it. People are going, look, I don't. It's like John Rich said, people that are absolute dyed-in-the-wool liberal socialists, they're going, I-, I can't sign up for this program anymore. Well, more and more and more are seeing this, and that's why we've got to protect our border. Even the liberals are critical of Joe Biden now. Here it is. President Biden is waking up in Mexico uh, facing some criticism, including from members of his own party after his first visit to the border since taking office. It was a pretty tightly controlled visit to El Paso, Texas. It did include meetings with Border Patrol officers, uh, lawmakers and local officials. But President Biden did not appear to meet or actually see any migrants there, including as he visited a migrant aid center. So everyone asked the White House why that was. The White House says, well, there were no migrants there at the time. It was a coincidence, they say. Our reporting does show, though, that there are still and were when the president visited uh, hundreds of migrants on the streets of El Paso, including children. Uh, Rosa Flores joins us live this morning from El Paso. And that's your reporting, Rosa, um, that those migrants were there. The president didn't interact with any of them? No, he did not. And that's why the president is being criticized by both sides because of what he didn't see. So let me show you, because this is one of the migrant camps that's here in downtown El Paso. And, you know, the immigration advocates here in El Paso and Governor Greg Abbott usually don't agree on much, but they do raise the same question. If President Biden came here to El Paso to see the reality on the ground about the border and he didn't come here, what's considered the epicenter of this crisis, did he leave with a clear understanding? What do you want to be? Oh, she wants to be a teacher. The Tovar sisters have been living in this makeshift migrant camp outside an El Paso church 
for a week. Oh, she wants to be Rapunzel. Playing with toys is a luxury they haven't enjoyed since they left Venezuela four months ago, according to their dad. He says that he decided to come to the United States because of the economic situation in Venezuela, because there's no education really for his daughters. The Tobars are among the hundreds of migrants who call the streets of El Paso home, arguably the epicenter of the current border crisis. A scene President Joe Biden skipped during his first visit to the border, a short three-hour stop in El Paso that prompted criticism by the governor of Texas. This is nothing but for show. And protest by local immigration and human rights advocates. Like Fernando Garcia. You think this is a photo op for the president? I think this is it. I mean, three hours. What, what is what you can do with them? But that feeling of disappointment has been transformed into outrage. Outrage over policies like the Trump era pandemic public health rule known as Title 42, says Garcia. That rule allows border agents to swiftly expel some migrants to Mexico. Biden said this about the policy. I don't like Title 42. Just days ago, he expanded the rule to Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Haitians. I think the only ones happy with the expansion of Title 42 are the Trumpist conservative Republicans, the people that supported Biden. I mean, we were expecting something different from him. Something more humane, like the campaign promises he made, says Garcia. During his visit, Biden stopped by a port of entry, a migrant respite center, and by the border wall, but didn't appear to see or meet any migrants, which Garcia says means the president was not exposed to the full magnitude of the immigration crisis. Three hours. Is that enough? No. Uh, obviously, it's not enough. The timing of the president's visit is also raising eyebrows because the situation here has significantly improved. Take a look. This is what it looked like in mid-December when hundreds of migrants were lining up in freezing temperatures, waiting to turn themselves into immigration authorities. At the time, Border Patrol said that they were encountering about 2,500 migrants per day. Now, take a look. The lines are gone, and the symbol of deterrence here is the Texas National Guard and the fencing they put up. According to DHS, the number of migrant encounters has also decreased to about 700 per day. Seven. Seven. The Tobar sister's favorite toy, a tablet, to learn numbers and the English alphabet. G. G. Their dream, learning to speak English. What would you tell the president? He says that his message to the president is that not all migrants are bad, that most of the migrants are like him. He's a father, he's here with his children, and they're just here for a better life. Now, the Tobar sisters are sleeping inside this shelter here at the church. Uh, they're allowed to. Some of the families are. Now, back to President Biden. My colleague, MJ Lee, asked the White House about the president not interacting or meeting with any migrants. And a senior administration official told her that it was because there were no migrants at the respite center at the time that the president visited and that it was coincidental. But, Poppy, I checked the migrant dashboard that the city of El Paso has. Uh -huh. And at the time when the president was here, there were nearly one thousand migrants who were in federal detention. So if the president really wanted to see conditions, uh -huh. I kind of doubt that the president of the yep. United States would have been denied access. Poppy? Right, right. And just it's remarkable what we're seeing behind you, Rosa. Those are migrants sleeping on the street of El Paso.
right? You're absolutely right. And we've seen this for weeks. And if the president would have stopped by here, he would have seen right. that there are hundreds of people, and you see them here behind me, hundreds of people living in the streets of America, I should highlight. This is a city in America, in the United States. Yep. And the top executive of this country came here. He did not came to see this. Rosa Flores, we're glad you're there and continue to be there to show it to us. Thank you for the reporting. Uh, filmatically, I, I pose the same question in the sense that in a couple of weeks, the President of the United States will deliver a State of the Union address. It's not scheduled yet, but he will be standing in the House chamber with a Republican speaker behind him. The Republicans say this was a photo op. The Republicans and their support in their media network have said, why hasn't he been to the border before? Where's Vice President Harris? Why hasn't she been to the border? Does the White House see an opportunity to say, okay, we'll give you some border security money, not the wall, technology, but in exchange, give the dreamers citizenship. Create a guest worker program that a lot of Kevin McCarthy's constituents back home in Bakersfield would like for farm workers and the like. Do they see an effort to pressure the Republicans here or do they just want hands off? You know, what's interesting about the El Paso visit, and it's within this context, is yes, they do. When you talk to advisors, they see this as a divided government is often the times when you can make deals on the most complicated and politically toxic issues. Certainly House Republicans will have a say in that. But they feel like there is an opportunity to at least raise an issue that for the two years they controlled all of government never really got off the shelf in any way, shape or form, in part because this isn't just a Democrats versus Republican issues. There are very significant issues inside the Democratic caucus when it comes to immigration. However, um, and, and so I think you will see the president not only in the State of the Union, but also whenever he gives remarks down in Mexico as well, we'll talk about bipartisan immigration reform. We'll talk about trying to find some semblance of a framework that they can start putting together. And if they don't, try and put this very much in the lap of Republicans as being the obstructionists who got in the way of addressing this issue that has been a very vulnerable issue for the administration politically over the last two years. I do think, however, that when you talk to officials who look at this issue and try and figure out where things are going from here on out, it is a very complex issue. That's not changing. And I think the pathway right now is still very unclear. Yeah, it's a complicated issue and it's not changing in part because you can go back to, I covered the Clinton White House and then the George W. Bush White House when this was front and center. Then in Obama, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue because it's been part of the dysfunction of Washington for so long. Uh, there were pictures of the president when he got to Texas, the Republican governor, uh, met him. Uh, and the Republican governor handed the president of the United States a letter in which he said, you should detain everybody who illegally crosses the border. You should fully enforce that Title 42, which is turn them back, seeking asylum, let them file their claims from elsewhere, aggressively prosecute illegal entry, resume the border wall construction Governor Abbott wants, uh, named the Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. Um, this was an opportunity for a constant critic of the president to politely and respectfully say, this is what I want you to do, sir. Mm -hmm. Is there any chance, maybe not with the Congress, with the governors, is there any chance or are we just in this political standoff over this issue? I, I think we're in a political standoff. I, I mean, I think there is a reason, as you said, this has not gotten done. People are dug in on all sides. And it's something where anything, any type of movement on it could be considered amnesty. Republicans will not do that. You have a lot of debates within the left on how to handle this. And people will point out that it is not illegal to cross the border and to seek asylum. That is not illegal. So how you deal with this issue, it does take a Congress and lawmakers and policy people who are willing to work together. We have not seen that for the past few decades. And back to the previous conversation quickly, both of you jump in. If you're Kevin McCarthy, a speaker, and if, if the president of the United States is the leader of the country, if he made a proposal, is there any chance this Republican speaker on the tenuous ground he lives on 
could try to negotiate. Any sort of proposal from the Democrats is going to include something like you said, dreamers, and that is not where the Republican Party stands now. They want border security first, and then maybe they'll discuss uh, dreamers, illegal immigration, legal immigration, but they are nowhere close to that. And also, yet. we should just point out how toxic it is about to be on Capitol Hill in terms of the investigations, potential impeachment right. of Alejandro Mayorkas. So while theoretically I completely agree with Phil that it could happen, I also just think that the politics are going to get incredibly difficult for both sides. Why does the left lie constantly? Because it gets spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. The spirit of the American West is alive and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues of the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like this year's Buckaroo calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. I think that my family has always had a big influence on me for not smoking because since I was little I was taught that smoking was wrong. Recent studies indicate that smoking among teens often leads to the use of alcohol and other drugs. I think having faith in God is a big part in it because the way I was raised has helped to avoid smoking. Smoking. If you think you're old enough to start, you're smart enough to stop. A public service message from this station and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All right, I'm back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. That was a mainstream press report on the border. It's interesting how the mainstream press is starting to, to some degree, get it in the sense that they realize Joe Biden is nothing but a shyster, folks. He wants photo ops and nothing more. Speaker of the House and others, literally a shame and a disgrace as well. Look, we need to come together on this border issue. And we need to realize it does start with security at the border. Absolutely locked down the border to people who uh, are coming here illegally. And they say it's not illegal to cross the border. It's not illegal to this and that. You know what? We can debate that till the cows come home, but we have got a border crisis. And you shut down the border 100% so that you send a message to all these countries and all these individuals that have been lied to and told that, you know what, you can come to America, they'll let you in. Yeah, it might not be pleasant getting here, and yeah, it might not be. But at the end of the day, uh, you know what, a better life is for you. I agree with the immigrant that says all people that are coming here aren't bad. A lot of them just want a better life. A lot of them are escaping horrible situations. I agree with every bit of that. But the quintessential point is, folks, we cannot handle uh, the amount of people being brought to the border. 
Uh, I believe governments are involved behind the scenes. I believe we're being betrayed by Joe and others who are sending a message worldwide that come to America. It's got to stop. And the only way I know to stop it is to literally say, look, we're going to close the border 100%. Now, I know the Democrats and liberals will say, well, that's a non-starter, and they'll just riot. I get it. But then we say, you know what? We can talk about individuals. And everybody does not have the same status as other people. And so you need to prioritize the statuses in which people come to America. Let's take a little kid that comes. They're calling them dreamers. And they come as a kid, and then they grow up here. Many of them, all they know is the United States, folks. And so you can say, well, you know, hey, send them back. Well, send them back where? They don't know anywhere else, folks. To force them to go back and have no start and ruin their lives if they built things in America, if they have productive jobs, and that doesn't make sense. Now, the second you say, well, let's make some type of opportunity for somebody, then people scream the amnesty word and say, you're going to let everybody just, you know, no, you can create levels of allowing people to stay, but allowing people to, you know, deal with certain things. You know, have you lived here your whole life as a dreamer and you, you, you don't have any problems with the law and you're a productive citizen? That's different than someone who's lived here and caused nothing but trouble for our country. Dreamer or not. So we need to kind of back into this discussion with an idea of how do we make it better? How do we improve the situation in a productive way that can give people benefit of the doubt, that has an element of forgiveness, that literally stops the bad guy, the criminal, the terrorist? How do we stop those people but yet reward those who come for the right reasons? You say, well, if you come for the right reasons you got to obey the law and come legally. You know what? It is very difficult for someone to come legally to America. It's very easy to come illegally, and that is the quintessential problem. We need to make it impossible to come illegally, and we need to make it reasonable for people to come legally. If you can come to America with a sponsor, see, we could create plans that would say, look, you've got to leave the United States. However, you know what? We can create holding places where you can go. And we will process your application to come into the United States legally and appropriately. Uh, you know, there's ways to do this without just pure amnesty. But what we got to do is jettison these political buzzwords, these scare words. Amnesty means all or nothing in many people's minds. We don't need to do an all or nothing. We can say to people, if you're here for a legitimate reason, if you grew up here, uh, came as a child, so you know what? Coming wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything illegal as a little kid to come. We need to realize little kids are innocent. They're not responsible. They didn't know any better. When you're five and 10 and six and you come to America or whatever else or three or two, you don't know. You're just going where your parents say to be and to do. and to, you, They're not responsible for it. You say, well, they grew up here illegally. They don't know anywhere else to go, people. So you say, well, Sam, man, you're just going with the liberals. My golly, you're – no, I'm not. I just said you need to shut the porter down from an illegal point of view tight. And we need to work on then these categories of people. And we need to think that they are people, not cattle, not trash. Not, they're people. And so, you know what? I might be softer on immigration than others to some degree. But I'm not softer on criminal activity. And I'm not softer on it's okay to break the law. I'm not soft on that at all. But there are ways forward if we get rid of the politics and we truly care about other people you know who is your neighbor 
the Good Samaritan comes to mind. But who is your neighbor? Is it just somebody that lives on your same block? Or is your neighbor somebody else in the world that needs a better life? How do we help those people get a better life but yet stop the criminal? How do we help solve our political stalemate and uh, allow good, honest people to come to America and have a better life? We can do this if we set our minds to it and get rid of the political, uh, you know, bantering. You say, well, Sam, you've already opened the door to amnesty, buddy, by saying that you'll allow some people to stay. No, you can create penalties for being here illegally. You can create obligations. You can create, there's a lot of ways, right? You can create, you know what, you get a certain amount of time if you grew up in this country uh, and you are not illegal in any way except for that you got drug across the border as a kid. But you're a productive member of society, and you can show that you have a sponsor and show that you can make a living and show that you can pay taxes and show that you can. And I'm not a big tax guy, but I'm just saying, if you can demonstrate that you're you're an asset to the United States, I think we can have very little penalty for those people. You know what? You pay a fee to cover some of the costs that it takes to support the border. And you know what? Maybe we let you stay. What percentage of people is that? You say, well, Sam, we can't. Then where do you go? Well, you go with starting with categories of people one at a time. And you go with treating people as people. And you go with saying, I want to get rid of this political all or nothing idea. And I'm going to get rid of this idea that we can't make progress because we can. We're going to take the extremes out of it on both sides. That's how you start, but Biden's getting attacked from both sides. I wish people could come up with a solution. I wish I could help negotiate and make a difference on this, but I can't. No one will listen to me. But Google Parent Alphabet has cut roughly 12,000 jobs across the country affecting positions worldwide. That isn't going to go well for the economy, is it? Trump is warning the GOP not to go after Social Security, Medicare, and the debt ceiling. Under no, uncertain, under no uncertain circumstances should the Republicans go after Social Security or Medicare or anything like that, Trump said in a, quote, video posted to his Truth Social channel. I get it. T-Mobile leaked data on 37 million Americans. U.S. no-fly list leaked after it was found on a secured server There's over a million names on it, folks. So we need to really kind of step back for a second and say, look, how do we make things better in America? And I think that we're going to have to compromise to some degree. We're going to have to put plans in place that matter. You're going to have to close the border big time. Send a message that you can't come to America. We cannot handle the waves of people wanting to come. We just can't handle it. It is overwhelming everyone. If I have a bank account with a million dollars in it, but I stand on the street corner and give a dollar to everybody that walks by, it won't be but minutes and I won't have any money. That isn't the way. The way is for me to say, I got a million dollars in the bank. How can I help people? How can I help people in a sustained way that lets me continue to help people, not just help people for a flash in the pan, and then I'm out of resources also? And so we need to shut the illegal door and open the big legal door to a lot of good people who want a better life. I don't blame them. We can do this, folks. And to me, the border is one of the best issues that we can do this on because it's not partisan. 
I know it's become partisan, but it ought not be. We ought to treat people as the Good Samaritan would. We need to basically stop criminals so that other people are not in danger, while at the same time allowing for a better life for those who want to be here for the right reasons. We can find ways forward. We can find ways forward, whether it's immigration. We can find ways forward, whether it's data leaks. Uh, We can find ways forward, whether it's the economy. And the best way to do this is use the supreme law of the land as the guide. And the best way to do this is to think of people before politics. Think of people and principles before uh, divisions or parties or any of these other things. It starts with a humble heart and willing hands. It starts with turning to God Almighty for guidance. It starts with realizing a lot of these religious organizations are too soft on the immigrants. At the same time, to some degree, they're treating them as people. How do we extract from all the different camps the good and what they've got to offer and build a plan that brings people together? I think it can be done, folks. But I know it's going to take a lot of work. And I don't want you all to think that I'm just totally soft on the border. I'm not. I don't want to build a wall because I think walls can keep people in as much as they can keep people out. But I am for vetting people and I am for putting categories together and I am for making laws that reject those who come illegally and reject the open border. We're going to hand out everything under the sun. Please come one, come all mentality that's been pervasive over the last couple of decades creating the crisis we face. I reject that. But I do stand for opening an appropriate legal door that would not bring people on the dole, that would not have people come for the wrong reasons, that would let people have a better life if they're willing to work hard for it. There's ways to get sponsors. There's ways to bring people into the country that doesn't drain our system. got to work hard, people. Two hours in the can. Thanks for being alongside of the ride. I told you I was going to talk to you about my health. I'll do it a little bit more in, in another day. But I've got a lot of health issues that are kind of plaguing me, and so that's why Lowell's not here today because... I was supposed to be out for some things, and then things changed, and I forgot to catch him up. My fault. I apologize. Publicly to Lowell, and we'll get him back soon. Two hours in the can. Thanks for being alongside with the ride. LibertyRoundTable.com, LovingLiberty.net. Spread the word. Share the love. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America. America.